Hi, I'm Adam Myers, and I'm the host of Story X The Show, as well as being head of growth at Story X Agency, a marketing agency that helps gyms and martial arts businesses get more for their dollar on Facebook and on Google. Welcome to the show. Hey guys, it's Adam Myers here from Story X. Today, I am joined by my longtime friend, 10 years actually, my 10 year long friend, with probably as many conversations in that amount of time. Aliyah Hashem. Aliyah, how are you going? Good, thank you. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. Uh, very excited. Happy decade anniversary. Happy decade anniversary. It's been um, an exciting 10 years, obviously. <laughs> a lot has changed since yes. we were years at uni. Um, I now get to finish my entire caramel latte by myself. It's excellent. You know, I can't even drink milk now. I don't even know why I used to drink your caramel latte, so I do apologise. <laughs> I was only on a big W wage. What's sharing a coffee every day going to do? You know, <laughs> it's all good. In the eight AM psych too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> those were the days. <laughs> um, so obviously, a long time has passed since we mm-hmm. first and became very good friends at ACU. We yeah. both went on very different paths. So Aliyah and I studied psych together for one year at ACU. Um, we were very fast friends. And I went off and did a media degree before focusing on Taekwondo and the Olympics and that whole kind of whole spiel. Uh, Aliyah stuck to the path. She was more disciplined than I was. Um, and up to it, give us a little bit of a background about your journey, kind of you started at ACU, university, education-wise. Mm-hmm. Where's it all at you? So started in psych with you, Bachelor of Psych. And then I always knew that I wanted to work in the field. So... In psych, they always prepare you once you do bachelor, then you do your honours, then you do your masters. So, got into honours, did that. I did that part time over two years, and then I, after I did my thesis year, I had a, a it was really tough. Like I had really bad burnout. I needed a break, and so the natural progression was to go into masters, but I took a massive hiatus from psych, and then I kind of jumped ship and then ended up as a visual merchandiser for five years in the beauty and health space, which was great. It taught me a lot, managing people, working for a really large scale organization, traveling for work. Um, And then it kind of got to the point where I really missed my psych degree. I missed reading, I missed writing. Um, In that time as well, I published my lit review. So I'm a published author, a Google scholar, if you will. um so yeah I kind of I really missed it but I knew I didn't want to go back and do clinical psych it wasn't for me I didn't want to work with sort of that client group and then it wasn't until my partner said to me um one day why don't you go back and and do sexology you'd be really good at it and that was exactly why I did psych in the first place was to do that but you kind of lose sight of it when you're when you're in there because they're talking about, you know, going and doing your masters and stuff, but clinical masters in psych is nothing to do with that. So I did a bit of research and I found there's two universities that do it, one in WA, one in Sydney, um, and then enrolled in University of Sydney, got in two weeks later and then time masters in sexual and reproductive health. Wow. So I'm now a sexologist. Yes, which is wild yeah <laughs> yeah it's, it's not a job you hear every day it's not kind of something you see maybe you know you're 11 or 12 students say you know i'm going to be a sexologist but i do vaguely recall this 10 years ago like we mm. mentioned 
if I remember you talking about sex therapy when we were at uni the first year. So it's kind of interesting that you went on that pathway and then diverted for a bit to Mecca mm-hmm. and then back again to, um, I almost said sex work, but it's sex education. Apparently um, <laughs> not sex work. Yeah, yeah. Um, going back and forth to Sydney, that was mm-hmm. quite tough. Yes, it was really tough. I did my degree over one year full time and they recommend do it part time over two years minimum. So it was really tough because um, obviously Sydney is very expensive and um, the whole routine, I did four subjects and then three of them, three and four of them were on site in Sydney for a week. So I'd fly up on Sunday night and I'd fly back on Thursday work during the weekend and then fly back again on Sunday night. Um, but like in hindsight, it was kind of the best time. Like I could go on a plane and I could, I could travel and I could, you know, see my friends in Sydney. It was actually really fun. At the time I was hating it, but then now I look back and I'm like, what I got to learn and what I got to experience was incredible. Nothing like you would ever imagine in a sex degree. So. Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah. yeah. I guess, is it a, like you said, WA and Sydney were the only places that were offering the kind of degree mm. that you wanted to do. Yeah. What's the kind of um, pathway out of that? Like, what, is, what does a sexologist do? So a sexologist is essentially like psychology is a psych- the study of human behaviour. Sexology is the study of um, sexual behaviour, but also the interplay of the psychological, biological and social aspects that interplay with sexual behavior and sort of what um, forms our values and beliefs um, but also the medical side of it so from a sexual functioning perspective um, Mm. like things like erectile dysfunction or vaginismus things like that where you kind of need to have a very integrative model of an allied health perspective of working with different professions to treat an individual for something like that because it's not just a medical thing as we know from psych, sure. it's always like, it's always related to the mind. So yeah, it, I was very lucky. I kind of talked my way into the medical side of it a little bit more. So I did reproductive endocrinology and infertility while at uni. Um, and that sort of led me where I am now. So I work full time at Melbourne IVF. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a very big interest in fertility and the relationship between that and sexual functioning because so interrelated but you don't really consider it when you when you think of fertility you think it's very medical but it could be yeah so many things related to sex but no one really digs deep because they don't know about it and they're sometimes too scared to ask so it's an emerging field I have a really big interest in it so we'll see where it leads I'd love to do more research in it yeah that is really interesting because I've never really thought about um, fertility outside of the medical perspective where it's a mm. medical issue and um, there's something kind of going on or going wrong in a way. I'm not sure if that's yeah. the correct term is going wrong, but how does the mind kind of, or anything else, integrate to that fertility? The mind of fertility, it's, not so, it's, it's more so the sexual aspect of it. So um, it's basically, so sexual functioning can cause infertility or fertility issues can cause issues relating to sexual dysfunction. So it's kind of that loop, that interplay um, of how they affect each other. Um, 
In terms of sexual functioning causing infertility, it can be um, lack of sexual literacy, so not understanding what sex is um, yeah. and how to actually have sex is yeah. the number one thing. And I find that in a lot of um, continental cultures is that they're not taught that. Um, trauma in women can often lead to vaginismus, which can't lead to penetrative sex, which obviously leads to infertility because you can't have that sex. Um, erectile dysfunctions can't have sex. So, yeah. 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 But um, I find that um, from all my readings, it's only some doctors now that are really starting to understand the link between the two and, and are willing to sort of um, discuss it with patients, refer them to sexologists and um, consider it when taking a medical history rather than just sort of being like, oh, egg count is low or um, sperm count is low, something like that. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I've always thought of a numeric issue like the sperm count, et cetera, et cetera, and how um, the, your age kind of affects that, that issue, mm -hmm. your, your fertility. So I guess as you get older, obviously fertility becomes more and more of a challenge and it, yeah. that also the other things kind of also become harder to deal with, right? Like the erectile dysfunction and that business like you were talking about. Yep. So they become more prominent as you get older. Mm -hmm. No, issues related to um, erectile functioning definitely become more apparent as we get older. Um, but sort of vaginismus, it's, it's, vaginismus is more of a psychological condition. Um, right. So they find that, you know, um, if you have a, a traumatic experience, such as childbirth, for example, um, you're more likely to develop a condition like vaginismus um, or, um, yeah, a, a painful experience, anything like that, mm -hmm. um, because the mind perpetuates the fear, um, which leads to the physiological reaction of closing in and not being able to, um, to penetrate. So, Right, yeah. Yeah, do I sound like I know what I'm talking about? You definitely do, yeah. I mean... <laughs> I'm asking, I feel like I'm being um, interviewed, actually, in my own show. No, 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 <laughs> no. I don't know anything about this stuff. Uh, it's really interesting to listen to. Your time at Mecca, visual merchandising, I, think, I remember being told in Cyprus as well to be like, you might have to do something else if you don't get um, kind of 90%, you know, like mm. you have to be, honours is competitive. And I think that was part of my motivation to kind of get out of there. I was like averaging 75, 80, and I was like, woo, top. 10% or something, or they said we got into honours, and I was like, well, that's um, going to be a tough one. You remember when I was like, please get degrees. Yeah. <laughs> and we'd yeah. go to Maccas. Yeah. yeah. And it, I was it, like, yeah, it's it, fine. Until it got to actually applying for honours, and I was like, oh, like, I actually, is, need, <laughs> need to, <laughs> actually need to pay attention to my grades. Sorry, yeah. continue. No, that's okay. Um, look, I, I was kind of... I was really demotivated after that experience. I was like, yeah. you know, I kind of really wanted to do it. I wanted to go down the therapy route and that kind of stuff. And mm -hmm. um, psych was going to be the thing that I wanted to do, obviously, because of my interest in, in high-performance sport. But the grades kind of get in the way. I think a psych is such a popular um, degree to kind of want to get into. It's so interesting to so many people, I think. Mm -hmm. I mean, even watching, um, you know, Netflix documentaries on crime and things like that, people have the psychology of that. You know, they want to get into that field. And then when you get in it, you're like, First of all, it's, it's a lot of reading. And second of all, it's a lot of... Um, Stats? If, it's a lot of what if. It's a lot of, are you going to be able to go through the whole way and kind of become a psychologist or move mm -hmm. to a different field and become a sexologist like you have? And I mean, sports psychology is purely, you have to have 
a PhD, I think, or a master's at least to do have that registration. So when you had that time mm-hmm. at Mega, um, how did psychology kind of play into that? Because the background knowledge of kind of how people think and stuff must have been helpful in visual merchandising. Definitely. Um, more so from a commercial perspective, because while visual merchandising is so creative, and which is why I loved it, um, you kind of, you, you as a customer, you can sort of put yourself in their position and understand, you know, the layout of a store, the position of a product, what a display looks like, um, is it inviting, is it open for when a customer walks in a store, um, the position of brands within a store, so many different factors play into that um, and understanding how the customer likes to shop. Um, also as well, like how do you like to shop and and your relationship with the brands and stuff. And I think Mecca being such a, a very hands-on, close contact store, um, it was really a great opportunity to sort of throw myself in there and um, from that perspective, sort of understand a lot about the customer and how I can enhance the marketing of the store. From another perspective, I used to lead store openings. So I would travel around Australia and New Zealand and actually set up stores with groups of 20 girls, leading them and motivating them to set up a store in four days was a challenge. Once I did it in an earthquake in Christchurch, that was fun. (laughs) Um, So earthquake sirens going off every five seconds and um, how do you support a team like that when they've obviously got a lot of trauma in regards to past earthquakes that were a lot more significant like um, how do you support them and how do you motivate them and how do you lead them through a challenge and make them feel yeah supportive supportive yes especially they've had like first just had some terrible earthquakes over there yeah so i literally like flew into the earthquake and then afterwards it was just aftershock after aftershock and i think yeah poor christchurch they really kept it (laughs) um but the people that live there as well it's very traumatic for them Mm -hmm. Mm, yeah anyway i derailed but um yeah psychology is one of those things where it's kind of like a degree for life i think Mm. Okay. What Would do you, you agree? What well, you I think that you can apply it to so many different things. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, well, I, it definitely helps um, even doing the year that I did. It gave me a different perspective, especially because of the, um, the scientific nature of it, where you had to mm-hmm. say, you know, the, almost, what was it? Um, the p-value of things like if it was something was statistically significant. I really I think about that all the time. I think about p values every two days. Honestly, I think about them all the time. Really? Yeah, because it's like, did an ad do this? Like, what was there an actual relationship between my increase in ad spend and an increase in revenue? Or was it proportionate? You know, if I spent a hundred percent more on ads in a year, but I only got a twenty percent return, well, something's going wrong. Mm. But if I, you know maybe added 20% to my ad spend, but added 60% to my revenue, then obviously I'm doing something right because I'm tripling my return. So there was a little algorithm that I've kind of worked out where I know how many uh, dollars I want to spend and how the ads have to perform before I do that. I think the stats really helped actually, but the psychology of like tapping into people's fear has helped a lot. Um, When we do marketing for, for us and for other gyms and things like that at my agency, we, 
tap into the client's deepest fear. And for most people, it's having body confidence. Um, gyms and martial arts clubs are about body confidence. And for kids, it's about, we call it classroom confidence. So the ability to kind of put your hand up when you know the answer, even if you, you might be wrong. Where some kids, even if they know, I used to be like this as well. When I was a kid, I would know the answer, but I would never put my hand up. And then another kid would say it and the teacher would be like, yeah, good job, you know, little Johnny, that's all good. And I'm like, oh, I was right, cool. But I'm also cool to not get the reward for it. I didn't want to put my hand up, you know, just in case I was wrong, because I didn't want to put my hand up, be wrong. And then the teacher's like, no, that's not right. I wouldn't put my hand up for three weeks after that, you know? Yeah. Um, if, I, if I had gone into martial arts younger, I wonder how different my school experience would have been in that regard, especially when I was younger. I was very, um, very quiet. Maybe my mum will say I'm lying. I don't know. I think I, think I was pretty quiet. <laughs> Quiet. Yeah. yeah, quiet. Like introverted. <laughs> no. Yeah, you are a little bit to begin with, but then like we crack you open and then you just don't stop. <laughs> <laughs> like a confident <laughs> Like a what, sorry? A confident flower. Yeah. That's gross. <laughs> All rose. <laughs> um yeah, look, I think um, the psychology really helped me at the start with the, with the business, understanding what people might want, especially during customer complaints. I don't know how much you were dealing with that kind of stuff, maybe staff more when you were in the commercial world. But uh, when I deal with people, I kind of just think, okay, from their point of view, this seems like a pretty raw deal. Like how do, and it's, I, know it's, I know it's not a raw deal because I made the deal. But you know, if I think it's a pretty crap deal or they're not getting enough value, then it's my responsibility to understand why they think that and to take the onus on myself. I think when you own a business and when, you, when you're doing anything um, where you have responsibility over other people, whether or not they're your customers or your, your staff or whatever, I do this with my team too. If one of my team makes a mistake, take that as a personal mistake because I should have trained them. I should have preempted that issue. We had an issue where someone had paid um, for something and then um, and it lasted X amount of time. I can't remember how long it was now, but someone, it lasted X amount of time and there was a dispute about whether or not it was a date or the date or the week after that. And it's just one week, right? So one of my friends who owns a gym said, no, you're right. You have to take charge. It's going to be that, it's going to be that later date or the earlier date rather they have to start paying again. And I'm under the impression of like, look, they're sure it's a week. Am I going to argue and lose a client over like $30? Mm. I'd rather just let them have it for $30 and then say, if they get in the car and they think, yeah, I really showed him, he's still paying $30 next week. It's all good for me. You know, I, I don't mind. But it's also, yeah, I really showed him, but he did something for me. I respect that. I'm more yeah. likely to come back and, and spend my money there rather than jump ship and go to another, go to another gym. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Because in yeah. the age of media as well, business is it's so, so, um, dictated by your social credibility and we do a good job i think at, at our businesses about making sure that our customers know why they're paying for their kids to attend the martial arts gym or why they're paying to attend our actual physical um like fitness gym because if you kind of how do i say it? if you're not sure why you're paying for something in a situation like this like during covid it's the first thing to go, 100%. But we, and, and again, we did experience obviously a massive loss anyway. Everyone has, that's fine. I'm not going to lie and pretend that I've not lost any clients. Yeah. I'm not perfect. But um, 
we could have lost more if we weren't as open and honest about what was going on in, in our lives here as well. You know, like if I just said, Hey, you know, everything's fine. It's all good. You can cancel. It's all fine. And you have to be honest with people. Hey guys, if you don't stay, we might not have a thing to come back to. And people responded to that. You know, if you don't want to pay, that's cool. I had several conversations with people who had lost their jobs and we're just honest with them. Look, if you can't pay this, can you pay X instead? And that really worked out. And you know, some of those people, cancelled anyway and some of them will probably stay for life now because of the way we treated them in this situation I think um, a, even lot, at, a lot of it yeah. is about empathy yeah um obviously working at mum and ivf and dealing with patients who come to the service incredibly frustrated because mm. their bodies let them down and, and you know they're experiencing fertility issues if you have empathy um it can take you miles i think yeah. Um, especially when dealing with complaints and things like that, you just have to understand where they're coming from and and recognize their struggles and voice them to them. And then they're like, "She understands me. I I get it." Like, yeah, it makes such a difference. I think most people, when they're in that kind of like um, that yellow zone, that complaint. So that's the um, teaching coming out. I mean, the yellow zone of a kid where. They're just about to blow. Like there's a kid that's you know, really angry or, or a customer or whatever. That's really, I used to work in returns and lay by at BW as well. So this is like in the Western suburbs of Melbourne. So if anyone, geez, if anyone knows how to dodge a table, you know, how to dodge a roll of sticky tape or a shoe or um, that is not surprising. Oh yeah, it was it was rough. It taught me a lot of lessons. You know, it's like those. Um, I worked in jobs where I was cold calling people, trying to get them to. Uh, by advertising space in magazines and you're kind of just on the phone all day and everyone's just telling you to F off. You know, it's just, it's unbelievable. So once you're in those environments for a while, you kind of develop this skin where you're like, you know what, if this person believes that, I just want to understand why they believe it. Mm-hmm. And, it and normally they actually don't know why they don't believe it. They're just sure they're right, you know? And once you can kind of coax them out of it into being calm, it's almost like that movie Inception. You make it think it's their idea. Yeah, pretty much. But yeah. I was also thinking, it's a very uh, Don Draper of me. <laughs> very Don Draper of me to make it think of that idea. Yeah. And to sell yeah. it to them. Yeah, yeah, to sell them the idea. Yeah, yeah. I sell them the idea that they're right, but I, their new opinion is what I really wanted them to think anyway. It, it's, I would call it kind of manipulation because it's, Manipulation probably has a negative uh, word on it, a uh, negative spin on it, but it's them understanding that there's only one way that's gonna go, that we're going to get out of this. The point is for them to understand why it's the best way, yep. not just me shoving it down my throat, like, you have to do this. This is the term. Now, I never use the word terms and conditions because it just escalates everyone. It's like, it escalates you know, everyone, but people either will like get escalated or like completely tune out. Yeah, yeah, if you say, well, you need to follow your contract, terms and conditions, or calm down, any of those three things, just don't do that. Just don't yeah. say that to anyone. Never. Ever, actually. Don't ever say it. Uh, I talk about it with my team in terms of conditions because we have them just in case. Yeah. I have it abandoned if the person is reasonable. You know, you have to just be a reasonable person. I think most people come in with that, like, fire in their eyes, mm-hmm. and you just have to learn how to put out the fire, especially <laughs> in all things, I think. Yeah. All businesses literally is just putting out fires. Yeah, yeah, it's putting out fires every day. One of my um, advisors, Sean, who's a great financial advisor, told me that every staff member and every customer you have is a potential headache. 
and all your job is to do is not overdose on Panadol. So you just need to numb, numb the headaches a little bit every day. There's going to be headaches every day. There's going to be something, I get two, three emails a day about something to do with the business at least. And then, yeah. and then more and more, the bigger the business is, the more emails you get. And they think there's simple questions to answer. But I, man, I can definitely see how other people find it really hard to answer and not make it worse. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. How did, um, from now, you're at Melbourne IVF. What's the, what's the grand plan? You want to, you love IVF, you love it, that's what you wanted to do? Or is there a, a bigger aspiration there somewhere? Um, I would love to diversify my time. I think mm -hmm. I'm always someone that's done multiple things at the same time. Um, would love to work as a fertility counsellor. Yep. and do more work in that space would love to do private practice and work as a sexologist um mm -hmm. just so i can also diversify the clients that i see as well obviously yep. fertility counseling and sexology is completely different um but if i can somehow marry the two that'd be yep. incredible um and probably future future goal i would love to do a podcast Ooh. i think it'd be so fun I but also I feel very privileged, I think, doing my degree and being able to meet so many different people doing so many different things within the sexual health area. I'm very lucky to be able to call on them and, and pick their brain and sort of teach people a bit more about the field because I think it's very, not underdeveloped, but sexual health and sexuality is still very taboo in a society yeah. that thinks that they're not. Mm. but they actually are we we did a um and i want to get back to the education of it and you teaching more people about it because you have a great instagram page which we will plug heavily throughout the um the media that we share through this show um i remember being at psych in the first year and we did a like little survey i think it was in, this, in my sports i did elective sports psych, and um the survey was pretty much like if you're more like traditional thinking or more like future thinking and things like that. And the future thinking was you know less taboo about those kind of things. Do you want to be married before you engage before you be with someone? And there's all these kind of you know general kind of life questions. And there was a couple of mature age students in the room. God bless them. And they were out the mature age. Yeah, and well, they thought that they and they, they and they weren't super old. I'm talking about you know like where we are now, late twenties, early thirties, and they thought. We're in a uni, we're kind of more future thinking and a lot of them were more traditional. And I actually thought I was going to be more future thinking being 18, 19 at the time. And I was more traditional as well at the time. I'd, I'd like to do the survey again, to be honest, if I could ever find it. Um, because I think a lot of those things are like people, people would like to be seen as more like future thinking, mm -hmm. but internally probably more traditional. Yeah. What do you think? Is that like my, um, that's a hypothesis with no evidence, no. <laughs> No p-value. Um, <laughs> it was a null hypothesis, Adam. It was a null hypothesis. <laughs> um, are you talking about in in terms of person's beliefs around sex and sexuality? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, their beliefs around sex. Yeah. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think people like to think that they're very open and accepting, and sort of up, up with the times. Yeah, but I definitely see a bit of um, what's the word where they feel 
um, it's like it's completely escaped me, but um, resistance, resistance yeah. to learning um, and accepting. I find it um, particularly evident in like in stuff about the trans population um, yeah. and gender diversity and things like that. I think we still have a long way to go in terms of that. Um, yeah. I had a whole subject related to it and it just opened my eyes and blew my mind about how far we have to go um, to being truly accepting. How long have same-sex marriages legalised in 2017? I remember because I was working at the school and the, um, the vote was announced like, during the middle of the day. It was like 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning. I remember thinking this is going to be an absolute landslide. This is, we're so far ahead of this same-sex marriage debate. It's going to be an absolute mm. landslide. And it was like 60% or something. It was, like, it, was almost, it was almost half. It was like it was like just barely enough to make it a law. Mm. And I remember thinking, no way. I was expecting, like, because you know, there was a lot of like Facebook fury, kind of like what's happening now with coronavirus. And yeah. I just kind of expected it to be like 90, 10 or something. And everyone in the 10% was just going to be shut up about it. And I was like, oh, it actually almost didn't even go through. I thought we were so far ahead in that as a country, but I guess not. No. You think, yeah. I think, yeah, there's this thing where you think that everyone is thinking something, but they're actually not. Yeah. It's just, um, yeah, there, there is a lot of resistance. And I think that's why sexology and sexual health is still a really underdeveloped field anyway. I mean, only two universities are doing it. One's at WA, one's in New South Wales. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I think we've got a long way to go. I don't like. It's funny that you said that you remember me mentioning it in two thousand and ten because I don't even know if it was a thing. <laughs> I don't even know if I could have studied it after. I, my bachelor. I definitely know it wasn't a thing. That's why I was surprised you said it. I knew <laughs> you it know wasn't. Why? It's because I found a book in my mum's bedroom <laughs> when I was like five years old <laughs> by a um. A sexologist called Dr. John Gray, and it would have been published in like 1991. But he was like the first. And I remember seeing this book and being like, "Who's doing this for an actual job?" Yeah, hmm. yeah, that's incredible. Mars and Venus in the bedroom. That's what the book was called. There you go. That's a, that's an excellent memory. I have a strange memory of things like that. Where I remember very small things people have said. I've said that to my friend before. Like, remember when you said that? And he's like, "When did I say that?" And I was like, "Like 2014." <laughs> yeah, this weird, what a useless eidetic skill to have <laughs> oh, um, the, the amount of quotes that you probably remember from me in 2010 yeah yeah what was the guy's name i shouldn't say his name actually i do remember his name yeah the tutor he was brilliant yeah he was really <laughs> very good um and the philosophy the philosophy was very good as well um i want to bring it back to your instagram account Great sex expectations. Firstly, I love the content on there. I'm learning a lot from it. It's brilliant. I love Thank the branding. You. From a marketing point of view, I love how it looks. The front, the grid looks great. That's um, the best Instagram compliment you can get. The Thank grid you. looks great. Um, it's very educational. And actually, you know what? It's probably one of the best usernames I've seen. It's a great name. <laughs> you know, it really so long to think of the name. And then it just came to me when I was walking to the bathroom one day. And then I messaged my partner and I was like, I, I've got it. I found it. It's a great name. It's such Thank a good you. name. Great dot expectations on, uh, sorry, great dot sexpectations mm -hmm. on Instagram. It's not easily forgotten. 
what's the mission there with the page? Is that to kind of lead into that facility counselling and kind of like the next diversification of your time? The page, I always wanted to do a page and then I guess it kicked off uh, first lockdown um, when I wasn't working. It was more, I guess I'm so passionate about that educational side of things and about quote unquote normalising the conversation. Yeah. Um, I, because like I said, I think that everyone's quite interested in it, but it's also really threatening content like, unless, like, you know, you, you go and look for it on the internet. Mm-hmm. Porn would probably come up if you wanted to type in half the things that yeah. is on there. Yeah. Um, so what I really wanted to do with Grace Expectations was make it really beautiful. So thank you for saying that my grid looks nice make it really approachable for people so that they feel comfortable coming to the page and actually accessing the information and taking something away from it. Um, I always say, if you're on a train or a tram, not that we are at the moment, but would you feel comfortable being on it in public transport if someone was looking over your shoulder? Yeah. Um, Because if you're following a sex account and a very pornographic image comes up, the first thing you're going to do is close it down and get rid of it. So if I can make it really accessible to people and they can take something away from it, no matter what. I I mean, I talk about so many different things on there. I guess I'm trying to normalise a conversation around sex, pleasure, as well as as fertility, because both male and female, male and females experience fertility issues, um, whether they're trying for a baby or or they're not. So... um, yeah, it's something that I'm really interested in and hopefully that translates. Um, I mean, yeah, I get very excited writing content for it and, and whizzing it up. So, um, But I'm very open to people's feedback too because I want to tailor content for people. I don't want to just regurgitate things that I find interesting. Yeah, yeah. I think um, Instagram and Facebook, especially Instagram now, Facebook is more of a head news aggregator than it is a um, content distributor. Um, mm-hmm. I think Instagram in that, in that sense is so valuable because the way you're able to tell that story, that, that train and tram example you just gave was brilliant because no one wants to be seen, seeing like doing something like, I guess, for lack of a better word, like dirty, I guess, mm-hmm. like on a, on a train or something a bit, maybe a bit embarrassing is probably a better word to say. Mm-hmm. Um, no one wants to be seeing that, doing that in, in public or reading about it, but uh, the way you've done it, the way you've constructed all the images, and I love the, um, the palette, the colour palette that you've used and those kind of things, it's so accessible. And I think accessibility is probably the best way to describe it because, or mm-hmm. sex accessible. That was a good one too. Sex accessible. Yeah. Sex accessible? Yeah, yeah. Cool. What did I say? Sex, but sexting. It's funny. You can do a lot with, um, with putting sex in front of it as a prefix. But... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Look, <laughs> before we divulge, um, thank you so much for spending time today with me, Aliyah, doing the show. Mm-hmm. It's been awesome catching up and hearing about your journey through your degree. And not that I didn't know a lot of it already, but I was very happy to, I'm very happy to share it with the world. And please, guys, go follow at great.sexpectations on Instagram. I'll put the link in the video below and I'll put the link on the podcast. Subscribe to the podcast. We've got Spotify, Apple, it's on Google Podcasts, everywhere you can get good podcasts. The video will be up tomorrow the 4th of september and the link oh, that's a quick will... turnaround time Jeez. Turn around. i don't muck around that yeah no no no, no you don't do you? 
no, no, I'll do it straight away. Yeah, I don't have to around. Otherwise, I'll forget that we've got the recording. Um, Should have so, No, 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 I won't do it. Um, well, thank you so much, Leah. Really appreciate it. Guys, subscribe to Leah's Instagram page. Go follow her and check it out. Thank you. Thank you.